0: Avoiding toxic positivity, the best year of your life, and the boss script you should use every time an employee comes to you to complain. We're diving into it all on Boss Better Now.
1: You're listening to Boss Better Now. Please welcome speaker, author, and Disney superfan, Joe Mall.
0: Well, Hakuna Matata, boss heroes. Welcome to the show for smart leaders who strive daily to boss better, but don't always know how. You can see us on the Boss Better Now YouTube channel, where you can listen everywhere podcasts are found. Please welcome the lady to my tramp, my co-host, physician and executive coach, Alyssa Mullet.
1: You almost pulled it off there. <laughs> you almost pulled it off. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, I do so appreciate your metaphor, analogy, name drop, all of the the things uh, related to Disney. However, unfortunately, I just don't share your mm-hmm. super fandom. We've
0: talked and about this. I know this.
1: that that's probably saddens you, but I, I, I just don't get it.
0: Uh, when exactly did the devil rob you of your soul?
1: <laughs> it's probably very early on.
0: Very <laughs> early on. <laughs> so, I mean, we could talk about my my affection for Disney. Do you have an aversion to Disney or it's just nothing there for you?
1: Uh, it's not an aversion. I don't have like a an out and out dislike. There's just no allure to me. There's no like... Oh yes, let me. Oh, or I need to, or my child's childhood won't be complete without. I just eh. Meh.
0: All right. Well, I think maybe it's time you get your own podcast. Uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's I think we That's should, it. you know, this has been a good relationship if and, and maybe it's time we, you know, part as friends. <laughs> <laughs> Episode nine, it's what did us in, folks.
1: Disney divided.
0: I I actually, I I do get that. I I think that people who do have a deep and abiding love for Disney um, just connect with with it in a way that's really personal for a variety of reasons. Um, I grew up with going to the movies with my mom and my sister and seeing the Disney movies. I remember uh, doing that over and over again, and uh, as a as a a kid who turned into a teenager who turned into a college student who loved music and theater and musicals, mm-hmm. you know, Disney movies really are in a lot of ways like musicals. Uh, and then I recall going way, way back that I had never been to Disney world as a kid. Okay. And so it was always this thing that I put up on a pedestal that yeah. before I ever had a, a wife and kids in a family, I wanted to take my wife and kids and family to Disney World. Mm-hmm. It was this thing that I aspired to and then, you know, eventually got to a place where I was able to do that. And, you know, you walk through the doors of the place and, you know, it's all the characters you grew up with in your youth. And I've got my kids and my daughter at at five or six years old, looks up the, and sees the castle for the very first time. And, and that's it. Like, here you go, Disney. Take my money. I'm coming back. I'm gonna do it again and again as much as I can because there's this window right now, especially at this age where you can have those, those magical moments. And so uh that's you know, you can get me talking, you know this, you can get me talking about Disney. I'll I'll go on and on. We can do a segment on every episode of the podcast, like top five Disney movies, top five Disney songs, overrated Disney movies, best Disney characters. This this has gotten out of control. I'm sorry.
1: I will pass on that, but thank you for the invitation, I think i appreciate that there is this whole fandom and 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 i think for me what i connect with from your um disney enthusiasm is that whole connection that you tie it to your family you know that this was something that you grew up as a childhood this is like you know you did these things with your family and then you aspired to do them with your own family and so that that I can kind of connect to, and you know, I I, I did enjoy uh National Lampoon's Family Vacation recently, and mm. so the whole trek to Wally World, I can connect with that yeah. and the, all the drama. And you just, you know, the place becomes the like, it's more than a destination. Yes, it's like all your hopes and dreams and like everything wrapped up into there. So yes, I connect with that,
0: and I can conversely understand folks who they don't see an appeal in going to Disney World. It's a lot of crowds. It's very expensive. It really is an enterprise, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, there are some folks to whom they don't want to be connected to that machine in that way. And, and I get it. So, you know, we can acknowledge that there are two types of people in the world. There are people who love Disney and there are people with cold dark hearts.
1: <laughs> Look at you, bridging the gap. <laughs> Connection, yes. Civility, I'm, I'm here to bring people together.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, there's no irony in this transition. We're here today to talk about toxic positivity a little bit. <laughs> uh, and For some folks, no irony. Disney itself would be toxic positivity. Um, th- this is a, 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 a kind of a newer concept, I think, that is coming into people's consciousness when they think about how they interact with other folks. And, and for our listeners, when Alyssa and I were planning out a, a series of topics and episodes for this podcast, uh, Alyssa, you brought this idea forward, this idea that um, when a person is going through something, we should strive to encourage them to have a more positive outlook, right? That that's that's what toxic positivity is, that that's not always helpful, right? Um that our instinct is to help people move away from pain and worry and sadness and anxiety. But when we do that too quickly, we're actually doing harm. Uh, And so when when you and I sat down and talked about a podcast for leaders to help them become better bosses, you made a connection between that and wanting to talk about toxic positivity. Where do you want to start?
1: I think that for me, it's A ground level foundation to how I operate as a coach and what I think our bosses out there that are in our audience are trying to do too, which is meet people where they are. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that's not necessarily this grand golden positive place of where they are emotionally, mentally, you know, you name it. And this construct of thinking that the only place in which we can define um, forward momentum or gains or growth is through the means of looking on the bright side, or mm-hmm. here's the silver lining, or you know, buck up, I've been there, blah 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 blah, and you know, all the the rah rah and the cheerleading and all this. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people that are really great at that and that's great, but it's not the only tool that we need to be using as leaders. We need to meet people where they are. And for some folks, that means being allowed to hold the space for themselves in a way that you might not think Is positive that you might not think could contribute to growth, but every person is different. And I can tell you that I live with a person who is for momentum and growth is not the same as mine. And anytime I try to say, but look at this and do this, and it's like nails on a chalkboard, it's got the exact opposite effect. So There's real um, power in understanding that positivity is not the only course by which we can obtain a perspective that's needed, growth that's needed, forward focus, future focus. It's not the only path. And I think that that's what toxic positivity speaks to is that We have constructed this thought pattern and then thereby making actions that say it's not okay to be negative, to complain, to uh, not be totally a thousand percent always on board. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you feel this way, you better do it in the quiet of your own home and don't let me see it.
0: Right. And that's the extreme edge of it. you know. And there are leaders out there who show up that way, who will say, listen, you got some drama happening at home. You just better check that at the door and come into work. And I don't want to have that infiltrate what you're doing here. And when people are, are unable to do that, treat those folks as failures yeah, or as incapable or incompetent. But I think... What you alluded to earlier is what is more common, which is the well-intentioned leader who is not showing up at, at the at the edges of that extreme, sure, but who is instead trying to engage in some reframing for folks. Like we know that this is an important um, trait, quality, characteristic in leaders to be able to help folks see things differently and to reframe uh, things in ways that result in people buying in and wanting to move forward. Sometimes it's connecting people to mission. And uh, you know we talk a lot about storytelling as leaders and why we need to be better storytellers to connect people to purpose and to, to help people overcome the difficult things that show up from time to time in the workplace. And so reframing is really important. It's something that we mm-hmm. have to work on as leaders. But when someone's going through something, if we automatically reach for reframing too quickly, we may miss an opportunity to sit in it with them, mm-hmm. which actually strengthens our relationship and gives them the time and space they need to move through it in a healthier way. And so here's my question to you. What are the things that well-intentioned leaders say or do that that come out as toxic positivity that may prevent people yeah. from having permission to recover on their own timeline?
1: Yeah. So I think what what I want to point out is exactly how you just phrased it, is to to anything that doesn't allow for the time and space mm-hmm. for someone to be where they are. If we reframe too quickly, so for instance, to say, well, but I did that, and this is what happened, and listen, blah, 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 blah. okay? Mm-hmm. So it's trying to speak from your own experience. While that's great, and sometimes it works for people, and maybe in time mm-hmm. that will be a okay thing to share to help someone move along, but understand, too, that you have to leave the time in the space, and that's what a coaching question does in this space, you know, is to say – and how does it feel? Or what would be supportive for you in this moment? Mm-hmm. Truly listening and holding space and just shutting up. Yeah. We've talked about that as a silence, as a tool, you know, it can be really uncomfortable to have someone be really down and mm-hmm negative and maybe it feels like they're just complaining and they don't want to solve their own problems. And I know that our bosses out there are astute enough to know the difference between this is a person who just likes to complain, Mm -hmm. who likes to wallow, who's looking for the attention, all of that stuff, versus someone that just needs you to be able to hold the space for them. Yes. Hold the time. Listen.
0: My wife works in senior care and has spent a lot of years uh, developing skills around a methodology called validation. And uh, I'm not going to pretend to be able to adequately represent the whole breadth and scope of what that involves. But Mm -hmm. one of the things that I hear her talk about a lot and that I've seen her do is not worry about – having the right answer with someone, but just acknowledging that they're experiencing an emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, when someone is showing up and having a difficult time, being able to say, oh, I'm, I'm really sorry to hear that. That must feel awful. I'm sorry that you're going through that. And just acknowledging that that emotion is present. And I think that this is a hard thing for a lot of leaders. I think this is, you know, a lot of leaders, again, they, they care about their people so much and, and it, it, it is their desire to be a fixer. Or to have an answer, or mm-hmm. to be supportive in the way of I am moving you past this uncomfortableness mm-hmm. because I care. Whereas sometimes the very best thing is for us to resist the urge to buck them up, you know. And and we see this happening online too. It's not just in you know in in person. You know, we, we see online when somebody says they lost their job. You know, people respond and say at least you have your health. Or they say that then a relationship ended, and we say, well, you'll find someone. Or or they say that they're not feeling well, and we say, oh, it could be worse. You know, and there's this constant momentum away from the discomfort instead of just saying, yeah, you're right, breakups are really hard.
1: Yeah, because every time we offer up one of those things is another opportunity for that person to feel like what they're going through isn't valid Mm -hmm. their feelings about how significantly this is affecting them aren't real and what you the terms of which you're available to them are conditions that Mm -hmm. are much smaller than what they thought they were Mm. so it's just an opportunity i think for us to Think about the space in which we hold people. It doesn't always feel positive to help. And we need to be okay with that.
0: I love the phrase you just used about how you are available to them. And I think if, if we want to ensure that some of our listeners aren't inadvertently engaging in toxic positivity. In some ways, they need to reimagine how they are making themselves available to their personnel, uh, not just as a source of information, the answerer of questions, the giver of directions, the maker of the schedule. But you know, I care about the person inside the employee. Mm-hmm. And when I notice that something's not right, and, and sometimes it's the noticing that comes before the toxic positivity. You know, if we've built some, some trust and some caring and there's a healthy relationship there, then we may be confident enough to go up to somebody and say, hey, are you okay? You, you just mm-hmm. seem, you're not like yourself today. Is everything all right? And if that person answers and shares something personal, sometimes then that's where the unforced error occurs. Where someone in an effort to express caring and be supportive tries to push them past the unpleasant feeling. And we need to reimagine how we are making ourselves available to them by instead saying, well, first of all, I'm so sorry that you're going through that. And second of all, um, thank you for sharing that with me and and trusting me enough to let me in a little bit with what's going on with you. How can I support you? And not worrying about having the answer.
1: That's right not the fixer of all the problems, not the cheerleader of all of the sidelines that you have to be on, just holding the space, being available.
0: And making sure that you're not doing the toxic positivity thing at home with your partner, you know, even with my kids, I've, I've, I've been a little more thoughtful about that lately of, you know, cause I'm a reframer too. I am, I am an, uh, optimistic idealist. We may have talked about this before, which can be a little obnoxious. I'm constantly, for myself, that's how I handle stress. That's how I handle difficulty. It's almost always through the lens of it could be worse. Be grateful for what you have. It could be worse. And I know that I project that outward. And I know that with the people around me, uh, I may be showing up in that way too quickly. And so Mm. this is not just a workplace thing. If you want to be a better human, we have to kind of notice that it's not our business to tell people when it's time to buck up. It's more our business to be supportive, to express our caring, and to be there to walk next to them on their own journey.
1: I could not have said it better, summed it up, and or put the point on that sentence any better. Thank you, Joe.
0: My pleasure. And thank you for bringing the topic to our podcast. I think it's a really interesting one. I have a feeling it's one we're going to revisit. And I would love to know what you think, listeners. I'd love for you to leave a comment under this episode on our podcast webpage, bossbetternowpodcast.com, or head over to the Boss Better Now Facebook page where you can leave comments, ask questions, suggest ideas for the show, and more. You can also email us bossbetternow at gmail.com. Well, let's lighten things up a little bit, Alyssa. (laughs) The time has come for our camaraderie question of the week. Bosses build camaraderie on teams by making it easier for people to find things in common with each other. So every week we give you a question you can use at meetings to facilitate connection and build camaraderie. Alyssa, if you could relive one year of your life over again, exactly as it was changing nothing what year would you choose and why that's our question this week
1: oh my gosh can i i i when i saw this on the run sheet i was like oh cringy 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 because I suffer with regrets a mm. lot, and so I couldn't even pick out a single year where I was like, "Oh yeah, no, that mm-hmm. would be good. No, that would uh, everything's fine there. Oh, professionally, no, no, then personally, that wasn't <laughs> <good idea>. like <laughs> I couldn't figure all the out bad
0: percolated I, to the surface.
1: Yeah, I couldn't figure out when I had it all together, mm. and so I keep thinking, "Well, that just means the best is yet to come, right? I'm I'm sure as heck open that that's what it means because. Yes, there's a a thousand different ways in which I could say, oh, I'd relive my 20s, you know, going to the clubs, going with my roommate. Um, But then I wouldn't have my husband or my kid yet. Mm -hmm. And then maybe I could relive some of my time whenever it was just me and the hubby for those eight years before we had uh, our son. Um, But then I was like, you know, kind of not the best wife i was a, a decent boss decent not good decent um and now i feel like oh, i finally come into who i am authentically <laughs> but i i don't have anyone to share it with other than those
0: <laughs> those two people, people I that i'm locked in a house with
1: <laughs> <laughs> so i i honestly have to just say the best is yet to come okay. i'm going to relive a year in the future I'll let you know when it happens.
0: There's there's an interesting conversation that we could have. So the coaching hat part of me went on, which is (laughs) if we wanted to – like your reaction, which was to gravitate toward all the pain points of a particular year and then decide not to relive it because of those pain points. Yeah. What if – We just acknowledge that no year is perfect, but which year would you like to revisit again because of the positive experiences you would have? Getting to be with somebody who may be passed on, getting to Mm -hmm. revisit a special event or or time in your life. Mm -hmm. What would it take to shift the priorities, right? That instead of focusing on the pain points you want to avoid, what are the positive things you'd want to uh, experience. And let me acknowledge that there is irony in the fact that we just finished a conversation about toxic positivity. So I'm not trying to push you away from your pain points if that's where you want to live. <laughs> oh, but it was that goodness. was kind of what was going through my head is, you know, right. how do we invert that for you in a way of making it more about the good?
1: Yeah. You know, so if I'm, if you put it to me that way, what, what comes up for me is that I would love to go back to that time then where um, I was still young in my career. Uh, I had lots of uh, still friends within the workplace because I wasn't that HR lady yet. <laughs> um, I had plenty of friends still from school. So I had this, you know, very wide uh gift of people and friends that were in my life. Um and so I think I would go back to like, I don't know the specific year, but in my twenties. I was so- somewhere after 21 <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that year's a little hazy. But you know, like uh 23, 24, I think, okay. um, would be really awesome. Um just because that I was a I was a lot of fun then.
0: I have no doubt about that. And I think what's interesting is, you know, maybe the construct of this question could be improved, especially as a question that you might take to your team. Um, When you ask folks to repeat a year, that might be daunting. That might be a hard Mm. choice. If we change the question to um, if you could relive one week of your life or one day Mm. of your life over again, exactly as it was changing nothing, what would you choose and why? Mike? My create less tension or difficulty answering the question might give you some different insight into folks
1: That's a good frame What about you Joe Turnabouts fair play right yeah
0: yeah I thought about this um and my mind kept going back to college um, that's probably my undergrad the the time in my life that I reflect on as being something that you only get to do once and that for a lot of folks you don't appreciate how special. Or fun it is. I remember graduating from undergrad and being hyper aware that I was exiting something I'd never get back. Hmm. And, and as I in the run up to graduation, I was I was really tuned into that and really trying to appreciate being in college for a little while longer. Um, So if I had to pick a year, it'd probably be my second or third year of college, right? I've got my feet under me a little bit. I'm involved. I've got a strong social network. You know, second or third year of college like the zenith of your dating life, right? (laughs) And and if I am going back to that time, I had some really incredible experiences um, performing in some shows and and doing some music and things like that that were pretty special. Um, Definitely some difficulty along the way. As I thought about this question, I thought, do I get to bring with me the knowledge and confidence that I have now in my 40s? Yeah. And and I, I mean, I guess not. If even if you did, you couldn't change anything because that's the rule of the question, right? Right. Um, but that's what I thought of first was the the second or third year of college. If we changed it to a week uh, that I would redo, there's probably a a, a a story that I could share maybe in a future podcast episode of uh, one of the funnest weeks of my life that, that was uh, around – my time starring in the musical Hair.
1: Ooh.
0: No, so maybe we'll awesome. save that for a future episode. Yes. Right? Make note. So that is our camaraderie question of the week. All right, folks, for our final segment this week, we bring you a boss script. From time to time on our show, we try to give you actual scripts, language, statements, questions you can use in certain situations to help overcome problems or make you more effective in the role of someone's boss. And the boss script we have today is some language you can have at the ready when someone comes to you to complain. Now, I know that a lot of leaders have some folks on their staff who do this a lot. They use their boss as their therapist. They march into the boss's office every time every little thing goes wrong. Uh, Or maybe this is someone who's just a negaholic. Mm -hmm. They just focus in on what's not great. Mm -hmm. Um, And when people come into our office to unload, sometimes it can be hard to figure out how how to... show up in a way for that person that is supportive because we're glad that they walked through the door and they're glad that they trust us with their opinion. But maybe there's not a solution that we should be sharing. Maybe there's not an answer we should be giving. Or maybe this is the 42nd time this week this person came to complain. And that's about enough. And so your boss script is a question. Are you just venting or asking for my help? When someone comes to your office and complains, ask them this question and you immediately frame your role for what happens next. And you can set this up with your team. You can tell them ahead of time, you know, if you come to me with an issue, you can expect to get this question. Are you coming to me to vent or are you coming to me to ask for help? You can do both, but understand that that how we process that is going to be different. There are going to be times when you come to my office and I ask you, "Are you here to vent, or are you asking for my help?" And you say, oh, "I'm just here to vent." And you say, "Great, you've got 90 seconds. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, can, I can only... There's 14 things going on today. I care about you. I respect you. This is a safe place. I'm glad you came and talked to me. Now you have 88 seconds.
1: <laughs>
0: let let it out. Right? It's it's cathartic. Close the door. Let let's dump it on the floor, and then we're going to step over it in 90 seconds. Go. Wow. Yeah. Versus, okay, are you asking me for my help? Great. I'm absolutely willing to help you with this, but I have a meeting in 10 minutes that I'm still getting ready for. So why don't Mm -hmm. you and I touch base tomorrow morning first thing and talk more about this? It sets Mm -hmm. you up for the path. Are you here to vent or are you asking for my help? Hmm.
1: I think that that's an excellent... um, Conjoining of what we've just talked about, you know, whether it's toxic positivity, this complaining, you know, you're naming that space. How do you hold that space? And so with this particular script, you're saying, I'm willing to do both, but Mm -hmm. I just got to know which path, which space I'm holding for you.
0: Mm -hmm. And my availability to do both is going to be different. Yep. Yep. And the timeliness of being able to do it and the appropriateness of right now being the time when I could do it, that, that may differ. But when we get yep. clear on what you're seeking, because I asked you that question, I'm able to get right at what you're looking for in the most direct and efficient way possible.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff, Joe.
0: Is there a place or a time when this could backfire?
1: Well, there's always people <laughs> that are going to make it backfire. But I think that to your point of making sure you're clear with your intention that you're there for both and, yes. and practicing that, being there for both of those things, um, as long as there's clarity in your intention to hold the space. For either, then I think that the opportunity, the risk of it backfiring, goes way down.
0: Yes, absolutely, and as long as we don't overuse it, as well, you know, if every single word spoken to us by a direct report is met with this question, okay, what's your point? You know, mm-hmm. if we're abrupt about it and we say, "What's your point? Are you just are you just trying to tell me, or are you like need a, you need me to fix it?" You know mm-hmm. the, the tone that we bring to it and the frequency with which we use it is also going to influence its effectiveness.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And that is our boss script for this episode. Folks, did you know that each week we break out the segments of each episode of our podcast into short video clips that get hosted on our Boss Better Now YouTube channel? If you hear a discussion or topic on any episode of our show, you can go to YouTube and pull up the short clip of just that segment and share it with your team. Share it with other managers in your organization. Post it on social media and tell the world, hey, you should be listening to this podcast. In fact, we periodically email a roundup of these clips to my Boss Better email subscribers. If you want to get those emails, along with additional articles, resources from me, and early access to our programs and events, just go to bossbetternow.com and subscribe to our emails. That's bossbetternow.com. And we end today with a final thought in alignment with our Disney discussion. In the Disney movie Toy Story 4, we meet a new character, character named Forky. He is made by a kid from a spork and some crafting supplies, and he comes to life. He doesn't know he's a toy. He doesn't know what that means, and for the first part of the movie, Woody, the main character of all the Toy Story movies, is trying to explain it to him. By the way, if you need a little pick-me-up, just watch the first 30 minutes of Toy Story 4. The introduction of this character is very funny and, and charming. And, and just very entertaining. Anyway, at one point, Woody is trying to help Forky see why it's so great to be a toy. And he says the following. You have to understand how lucky you are right now. You are Bonnie's toy. You are going to create memories that will last for the rest of her life. Like it or not, you are a toy. Maybe you don't like being one, but you are one. That is your job. I love this scene because let's be honest, if you swap out the word toy with boss, it's all still true. We're lucky to lead others. We directly influence what our employees think and feel about their work every single day. That power is a privilege. And after months of challenge and struggle, your employees need you to use that power now more than ever before. So let me. Paraphrase Woody. You have to understand how lucky you are right now. You are your employee's boss. You are going to create memories for them that will last the rest of their lives. And maybe right now you don't like being one, but you are one. That is your job. Bosses become boss heroes when, despite all the difficulties of leadership, We keep showing up for our people, so keep checking on them. Keep caring about each person that works for you and caring about what happens in their lives. Keep telling them that they matter and that they are appreciated. These are the actions that are part of both the privilege and obligation of leadership. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll see you next time.
1: This show is sponsored by Joe Mall and Associates. Remember, commitment comes from better bosses. Visit joemall.com today.
0: Hey, boss heroes, more than once you've heard me say commitment comes from better bosses. But where do better bosses come from? answer the joe mullen associates boss better leadership development program the managers on your team are going to develop the self-awareness knowledge skills and relationships critical to success in a one-day training if you want them to motivate teams maximize effort and create the conditions for your employees to thrive they need ongoing education it's like going to the gym if you go once you'll get a good workout but no long-term results If you keep going, though, you get healthier and healthier over time. The same is true for bosses. They need continuous learning and mentorship. When your organization subscribes to our Boss Better Leadership Development Program, all your leaders get access to my quarterly micro-trainings, my live coaching clinics, our digital vault of on-demand training, and more. Our approach keeps the time commitment low, but the impact sky high. Oh, and everything we do is evidence-based and highly entertaining, if I do say so myself. So what are you waiting for? Let's give your leaders the skills, tools, and knowledge they need to supercharge commitment and boss better. For more information or to get a quote, email us at hello at joemull.com.